ground. We're back. We got drummer extraordinaire, zine maker, from a city safe from sea, some stranger, and uh, out with a fresh new record by the band Achings. We got Justin Stoller on the pod. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, uh, what's up, Justin? How's it going, guys? That sounds exactly like me. All the things. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I got the right notes here in front of me. Yeah, that sounds good. I, Justin, I like it. It where good. do you find the time? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's you, like all those things are really things that are probably taking over like 20 years. It's not like it's all active at once. You know what I mean? When so. was the last time City Safe from Sea played a show? Um, I think the last show of the drummers tour, probably 2013, something like that. I had a 102 fever. I think we were in Indianapolis. Sure. Oh, that sucks. Um, yeah, that was really fun. It, you know, it, the Indianapolis venue was an old like Kung Fu studio. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know, had, right. If you imagine all the warmth of Indianapolis in the winter in a Kung Fu studio Amazing. and like, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this where like sometimes you arrive in a town and the people that you're there to play with are very excited to take you to eat someplace and like oh, yeah you're like oh what's what are you gonna do? and it was like i forget what it was it was like some rice and beans spot they were like oh. obsessed with they're like you gotta come and uh I remember eating rice and beans and i like we woke up in chicago that morning and i didn't feel good and uh i think i hid in the van and then dan felt bad for me afterwards he's like i'm gonna get a hotel and i was like i think that's a good idea you know (laughs) you know like you you know it's like i think i think you know i think they're just in wasting our money again (laughs) (laughs) Um, i think they were all more motivated that they didn't want to drive home so they were like we got to get them like just okay enough to drive you know where um where are you from with that outrageous accent you got oh i grew up in uh willow grove hapro pennsylvania Oh. oh shit okay yeah. that's closer than i thought <laughs> yeah. yeah so i'm like i'm a suburban philly kid you know that's the are you Who where are you currently in a- i'm a philly now i'm in roxborough oh okay. um, yeah, yeah. All, everybody be moving to roxborough is that the new hot spot um i guess so we've been here the new mount airy or uh yeah well yeah you know i feel like where people are just crossing the crossing the the wissahickon you know people got really just getting pushed further and further out of the city <laughs> you know, like but like to arguably better places oh for if, sure if we can be honest with ourselves i think uh post like pandemic the wissahickon like exploded because yeah. it was one of the few places you could actually go and be outside and not like you know be on worry. top of and, anybody uh, else yeah yeah and i think all the i think most like the housing boom in that neighborhood really kind of started i i met someone who was currently living in fishtown mm-hmm. uh recently and i was like must be nice they probably <laughs> unless they bought there like 15 years ago yeah right <laughs> and they're sitting on a gold See, I, I remember i before i moved to jersey city i was looking to move to to fishtown mm-hmm. and my only requirement said i was six blocks away from reanimator coffee okay and so like that's pretty central right i was yeah, yeah. I was yeah. gonna move into Greg Horble's house on Almond Street, and he had a spare room for two hundred and fifty dollars a month. Mm. And I remember, I remember looking at another mm. room uh, in a, in a different house, and they they wanted four fifty, and I was like, that's kind of expensive. <laughs> but this was during that like time when you could like you could work a part time coffee gig afford rent and afford to like rent an art studio and all yeah, that changed the, like the overnight. magical time of like 2003 to 2008 like that mm. that yep. yeah yeah 
Yeah, yeah. Even yeah. even like 2012, I feel like it was still uh, on the on the cusp, and then yeah. it just I think it left, all we just left went the, down at the same time. I think I sold my house in Fishtown in 2012. Okay, and yeah, you could definitely see there is there. Wait, I, I, I have to say this now, and I don't criticize Fishtown or anything like that, but like it's like I don't know. It's just like it's such a different it's so it's so incredibly changed and i don't want to, it's not a big yuppification because i think that's kind of a, an easy kind of attack but like it's just where is everybody making all this money like, oh i, I, asked, I like, do not understand i live in new york city kidding. and i like, ask that, that question runs through my head multiple times a day uh, yeah uh because it's just <laughs> i'm, I'm I, i've mentioned it on the pod before but i'm currently living on a block downtown where there's maybe 35 houses 30 houses or so uh, and five of them are under full gut renovation at a time. Yeah. So it's just my whole block is just dumpsters and double parked <laughs> construction vehicles. Mm. And it's just crazy. And and, and yeah, yeah like, it makes sense why you choose to live there. I mean, I do love living here. But uh, yeah, the, the, my neighbor's house just sold. It sold a year ago for one point three million dollars. And people moved in. It was like already flipped. Yeah. And then people moved in. And now they're they're selling it again for like. $150,000 more yeah. just within a year. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. But uh but yeah, I don't know where the fuck people are getting money. I just uh, get really grumpy in line for bagels now cuz I'm like what what is going on around oh me? Oh my god, we've oh, had so yeah, many it's... so much bagel talk on this podcast recently. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh man. Uh <laughs> which is which is very funny cuz we had Tyler Daniel Bean on uh 2 weeks ago and uh we talked about the Desarc record. Mm-hmm. And uh, Daniel Danger, also former guest, was uh, he was like as as you know three men discussing this pod. Like I can't imagine being a man and talking about this record. <laughs> and then I'm like, just wait, we got Justin coming on talking about Team Dresh. <laughs> so- you guys, you have you have no idea how much I've like overanalyzed just even like you know talking about it. But I think I think honestly, it's. I think you like you can talk about it in a way that like all I really want to talk about is the drums. That's really all I want to talk about. It's like <laughs> it it kills. Like you take I care take the lyrics out, just make them instrumentals. Kills, they they kills fucking kill. is so a good. very interesting choice of words. Oh, sorry. <laughs> the uh, so actually, Justin, I I have yeah. a funny story that we've actually met before many oh, years yeah. ago. Here we go. Um, so uh, I think was it. Scott from Dads, who put us on, uh, put you, told you to come on the pod. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so I mean, I've I've known them for for years and years and toured with them, and that's how I met Daniel and all that whole crew. Yeah. But there was a night at the Golden Tea House. Oh gosh, I remember um, that night. <laughs> that Dads played. Scott broke his guitar. His oh guitar, yeah, the, the, like the whole the the whole the like, neck uh, just yeah. came off of the body of the yeah, guitar crazy. in his hand, and uh, but yeah, he was like, oh yeah, you met Justin. When Emperor X was playing, mm-hmm. he just randomly asked the audience if anyone knew how to play drums, and apparently Scott pointed to you, <laughs> and then yeah. you, and I have a picture from the balcony of Golden Tea House of you playing drums <laughs> awesome. for Emperor X. That he I'll was really mad later. at me, because he was like, just go. It was like this really like basic thing he wanted me to do, and... Mm-hmm. Anytime I would just vary it a little bit to be comfortable or whatever, he would like look at me like he was James Brown, like finding me, you know. Like I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, because that's actually the second time that's happened to me. Really? Uh, what at, was the other shows. time? Yeah, uh, I was went to see my friends play um, 
at Brimar College, they were in a band called the Snow Fairies, which I eventually joined. And somebody would like randomly requested a song and their drummer didn't know it, hadn't learned it yet. And I was like, yeah, I'll figure it out. And the guitar player just went through the changes with me and we played the song and it was fun. Yeah. It's, are, it's in four, four, you know what I mean? It's not like, you know, drummers are in high demand. You just, you can show up like a day laborer and someone will pick you out of the lineup and <laughs> you just get right behind the kit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, it was fun though. I mean, that was a weird, weird experience. I think I was probably the oldest person at Golden Tea House, like hands down, uh, mm. that night. I definitely got a couple of weird, like, "Are you a cop?" kind of vibes from people. <laughs> and um, the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be honest. The beard isn't giving cop. I just want to say that. You don't think? No. Yeah, undercover. In Philly, cop, you don't though. think there's a cop with the beard who's going undercover? Hmm. Uh, I I think that your look is not what the cops want as like undercover <laughs> unless they're looking to you know hey there's a guy who's been like pressing cap and jazz records and passing them <laughs> off as originals we need you to get in there and solve the crime Emo i love your look That's i love amazing. your look i i i look very similar to you so i think of it's course kind of I like it's look. kind of like a receding hair man look number one you know what i mean no. I, no. Honestly, yeah. that's, I, the, that's that's the whole underpinning of this whole podcast. <laughs> I have become hat all the time, guy. Okay. Like I wear I wear hats. I you know I didn't wear hats to work or work in an office, and then one day I was just like, "Fuck it, I'm going to do it." I never look back. It's been great. Yeah, yeah I'm a, I'm a hat most of the time, guy. I don't wear one in my bedroom, but you know, mine's like seasonal. I just moved from like a baseball cap to a hat. There's like a day in the year where my wife's like, Oh, the hat's changed. And it's like, <laughs> it's one goes away. And uh, comes yes, out. the changing of the season. The hat's re it's retired. It's retired to the next year. And it sits on top of the fridge on top of last year's hat. And I, I can't wear a, I, I don't like a, a knit hat. Mm. I don't like a beanie. I don't like a toque. Do you know, do you know what I like that I would love to come back until I see the people who wear them? I want What's knit hats with the visor. I love that hat, Do but you? then you look at who wears them. And oh you're yeah, like, yeah. I can't. My there, there was a really good meme that went around a number of years ago when like Twenty One Pilots was like, the biggest rock band at the moment, and someone was just like, "This hat is what Twenty One Pilots sounds like," and it was the the brimmed watch cap. Mm, I love it. I think I said that about like Turnstile. I was like, Turnstile is like Taco Bell. It's like the Taco Bell of music. <laughs> yeah, Turnstile like, like they did <laughs> do a Taco like Bell commercial. Get out. Yeah, no, Turnstile <laughs> did. They used uh, like mystery as the background music of like a uh, some limited run Taco Bell item. I mean, and Scowl, Scowl just did a new Taco Bell commercial. Just reinforces myself, I guess. I don't know. Uh, no, that validates <laughs> it entirely. <laughs> Turnstile is like drinking a Baja Blast in watching a sunset in a bucket hat. That's that's the Turnstile <laughs> vibe. Being grateful for life and the people around you. What if you uh, had a bucket hat with a brim on the front? Daniel, I'm not falling for your shit today. What is that like? What? Is that like those birding hats where, like, that you know, like sometimes David Lynch you wears want, them, where it's like kind ooh. of like that and has that really long brim in the front? Oh, the long, the long uh, bills are back. People are getting no. the, getting crazy with the long bill. Now, I want, I want a uh, a bucket hat that I wear just one side up. <laughs> okay, you, 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 the front's down, the sides are up like a fedora. Ooh, I a do bucket like the fedora. I, no, I like the idea of just front up. Okay, 
like so you look like uh the the camp director from Salute Your Shorts. Yeah, I look like fucking Gilligan. <laughs> it's a good look. It's a great look. What, Justin uh, while we're while we're talking hats. Justin And I think I think Justin could pull it off. <laughs> yeah, what what the cadet hat. Let's oh bring my that god, back. I was just thinking how bad What's I want cadet, cadet hat? hats to come back. <laughs> I don't know the cadet hat. You know, mm. it was like, like Civil the... War, like cadet hat. No, like, no, 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 like no. the like the Che Guevara shirt. Yeah, like those army. Hats. Oh yeah, no, I've never attempted anything oh, quite fashionable like that. No, no, never. Yeah, oh, I, man. I think I would probably be mortified like to death to put something like that on. Oh, you can man. listen to so much childhood in that hat. Carry on, maybe. <laughs> oh Ooh. my god, you could you could really be into. Uh... Uh, Copeland in that hat. <laughs> it's a versatile hat. It's a very versatile. That hat wears a lot of hats. <laughs> it carried the hardcore scene for at least. Justin's four years. like, I can't believe I'm in hat talk right now. Oh, Get me the fuck out! Dive here. in, baby. Justin, I think, I think my understanding I, of like punk fashion is probably the least thing I've ever spent any uh, attention to. I think um, so. Yeah, I think like you know, one hat for the winter, one ooh. hat for the spring. That's You're kind simple of the man. extension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's as far as I probably adventure. Um, Justin, um, let's talk about the new record. Let's get out of hat talk. I don't want oh, hat God, talk. Man. I'll never get out of hat talk. Um, um what's let's it talk about, about the new record. When did it come out? Recently, right? Yeah, Real recently? it came out in um I think it was like uh like the 15th of July, something like that. It finally like officially made its way. But um yeah, it's been awesome. It's uh I just I just actually got my hands on it. I think last Friday was the first time I had like seen it all together in real life. Yeah. Your your um, pre-order finally came in. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> it's, it's a <laughs> it's a beautiful cover. Oh I yeah, mean, just the, like the artwork is incredible. Record. Who did the artwork? Um, it was uh Randy Ortiz, he's part of like the vacuum with like Corky and those guys. Um okay. Becky, that was all Becky. She was like I'll say was was Daniel's art too much? Um <sighs> uh, I think like <laughs> I don't, no. you know, I don't, I actually don't even think it came to the point where, like, we asked Daniel to do so much for us. I think having him have to do that was just like a little too complicated. And I think Becky, I think, had already had her eye on Randy's work from like, yeah, kind of conception. And it's it pretty simple. I mean, like, he sent us three things and we were like, that one, like, instant, like, just that's the one. Nice. And, uh, yeah, so we did that. Um, yeah, it's coming out. It's it's nice to have a record out. Uh, feels feels good. Landlan is so incredible to work with. And um, if anybody's ever gotten a chance to meet Dan Black, he's like the most enthusiastic, like wonderful human uh, person. Uh, and Landland is the they're the label that just put out the live self defense record, right? Absolutely, yeah, Ooh, yeah, yeah. I listened really, to really your good. interview. Uh, what was the singer? Is that Patrick? With Patrick, yeah, yeah. Episode yeah, I like that guy. That was that was really interesting. I, I, every single time I I get a chance to listen to him, I always feel it was a good good time spent. He's he's such um, a cult of personality. But I'm, yeah, I'm the same way. Any any interview he does, I'll I'll listen to because he always has some insight. I mean, he totally like drove the bus on that episode here. It it felt like a day off because me and Andrew just sat back and let him talk. Yeah, like he's it's just really interesting sometimes to to listen to people who like are it's like so very self-assured. Like he knows exactly who he is, he knows exactly what he like says, like puts it out there in a way that I mean even like watching him control a crowd. Like I've some oh, yeah. of those there's a couple of like drug church videos from their shows of the church like the last two years that like 
Like that's that I, I can't even imagine what the, what it takes as a human being to like manage that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's like that's a probably a little bit. I would probably be scared to death. Like oh my god, you know. But um, yeah, that I thought that was great. Why did we start talking about him? I can't. Remember. Oh, landline. Yeah, landline. So they put yeah. Out the uh, they put out that record. They just did this the Abilene box set, which is incredible. Um, so it feels really nice to be kind of part of this little cluster of releases. It's, I think it's kind of like his relaunching of the label in a lot of oh, ways. Oh, cool. Yeah. And, um, yeah, but you know, we, we made a record and we sent it to one label and they said, yeah, that sounds great. And that was as much work as we did. It is true that hard work really pays off. That's great. <laughs> it was kind of, um, one of, it's kind of so much more satisfying to send it to one person and have them say yes and be like, oh, thank right. God, I don't have to do this anymore. Like, you know, so. Uh, was this this is like new material this how long has this band been around so it kind of started um i'd say probably like 2018 19 and uh i don't know if you guys know the band sunny day in glasgow um sure. i grew up with those guys and this guy josh who works a lot with jeff siegler um who played in that band has a studio called um elf land and josh was a bartender at memphis tap room and i lived across the street from him and I used to go there like it was, you know, my kitchen. I just never wanted to cook. And, <clears throat> you know, like he'd just always be like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm like, I'm just, I literally, my, my, my sense of technology and recording was the such that like I plugged my guitar in and then I had a drum machine on my computer and I recorded it on my phone, like live in the room. Like, like I had no, not even garage band, like nothing. And uh, he was like, well, come in the studio. That's what I'm good with. So I made like instrumental demos um, for the EP. And then I just sent them to everybody that I could think of. And <clears throat> I sent them to Dan, Dan Jira. I was like, hey, like, what do you think you want to write to some of these things? And <laughs> I think he just very graciously passed them on to Becky. I was like, <laughs> why don't you see what you can do with this? Nice. And uh, she took to it really quickly. Like, I think I, like, I sent him out the next day. I think I got two songs back and I was like, this is it. This is great. Like, let's oh, make wow. it a whole, let's do wow, the Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. I, uh, that never works for me. I'm so happy that worked for you. <laughs> I know, I, you know, because that, I think that's the thing. I think there's a lot of people who are making music, probably like me, where it's like, you know, I used to play music with the same people probably since I was like 14 years old mm -hmm. all the way up. And we don't really do that anymore. But you're still writing. You're still playing. You still have all of your crap. You know what I mean? Just like sitting right. around you. And uh, yeah, I really feel like truly it's such a it's such like a perfect moment. You know what I mean? Like she like really needed something to kind of sink her teeth into and i had tons of songs and yeah she recorded the demos came down we finished the ep and then we we're like now what and uh we started writing new things and yeah we're just like let's just go back into the studio and do kind of a more fully realized band version of things not just uh whatever your little demos were so her production you'll hear like all over that record like every part that you're like hey that's a cool part that's probably her she's done some solos uh, records too. oh right? yeah man she did it so she did an ep with our our current drummer jeremy um and you know and uh like he kind of worked with her as a producer and i think it's like a four song but it's great and i had heard that you know i was obsessed with that i listened to it all the time and i was like this is really awesome um but i hadn't actually really thought about having becky like try anything i mean originally i was kind of sending them to dan um but yeah it works out really well um but yeah man we went to uh i don't know if you guys know Sonlab, lab which is like a studio up in east hampton so they're like 
kind of where all the elder Western mass indie rock gods like hang out. Like, <laughs> nice. you know, it's like uh, all the Jamascus, Thurston yeah, all the Moore. Bodyhead, all the Dicer Jr., all the Sebado, um, like the room off the control room is just a bunch of boxes that are all Frank Black's like, uh, like touring contracts from, you know, like. <laughs> 1988 or whatever you know <laughs> right. so it's kind of and you know like there's kim gordon's face just like sitting on a thing like that's kim gordon's you're like cool you know um and you know around all the studios like you know they he takes all the tapes from like you know um from the mixing board and it's like you know dinosaur jr Sebado, like all these really great um bands so it was uh completely like fantastic like you know as you get older, I think, and you play music, going to nice studios is like going on vacation. You know what I mean? You're like, yeah. let's go, let's go find an awesome place and go record there for a week, and it's better than going on tour, and probably better than going, you know, anywhere. It's like it's so much fun. Um, cool. So yeah, uh, we worked with a guy named Justin, who's kind of like their in-house engineer. Convenient and, uh, for you? No, no, no. It was weird. It was I'm good. <laughs> He's good. Yeah. Okay, he's really he got nice. really competitive for some reason. I don't know. Um, <laughs> oh, no, not at all, man. So um, let me yeah. ask you I, I like the record a lot. Oh, thanks, uh, man. I remembered to listen to it today and I listened cool. to it a couple times and I was really into it. But I was, I'm was, i curious when you were writing those demos, what, um, what influences do you think you were pulling from? I think, um, I don't know. I think probably. You know, for me, like, it's really. If you had to give it an FFO, oh God, what would you I'd give? Still, it the I'd FFO? say probably something along the lines of like throwing muses meets like early lilies meets Vampelt or something like that. You know, that's really um, interesting. Yeah, I was obsessed with the throwing muses record. Um, what's that record called? Real Ramona. So I was like listening to that constantly when I was making the record, and um, I think like. You know, it's really. I if you went like song by song, there's probably a, like a lot of like the bands that I grew up with in the Philly area. Like there's a, there's a if you listen to Rose, to me that's just like a Franklin song. Like I'm literally right. just ripping off a Franklin song. You know, has the same groove. It has all that stuff. Um, so I think there's a lot of that kind of like the people who are like three or four years ahead of me, like musically. There's a lot of emulation tours what they were able to make. So that's probably pretty deep <laughs> in a lot of what uh, what I was doing. But yeah, I love the, the 4D stuff. I love like indie rock Boston, like early 90s. Sure. Like Fort Apache was like that that compilation they did. Um, this is Fort Apache comp was like, it was huge in my world. You know what I mean? I think we were like summarily like high school students who were like obsessed with Massachusetts based indie rock. You know, um, that was like a big deal in a weird Interesting. way dan feels the same way i can tell by looking <laughs> the trees. i i was uh, yeah i was i've just been waiting yeah. to throw out uh, there that chris from from van pelt was uh was one of my neighbors so that's awesome so yeah. they were van pelt was doing demos with justin at the time we were up there doing it with stuff at stone lab and i was like so curious I, I was too embarrassed to ask justin to like hey can you play some of the new van pelt stuff um <laughs> i think that would have been weird but yeah uh, he's uh, they ended he, up i think doing their their new record with uh with ziegler yeah yeah he's got an incredible wine shop in uh yeah in i like Jersey him a lot City Heights. chris chris he's, leo is like my favorite guitar player he's so cool oh, yeah? he, he's supposed to come on the pod eventually he's in the process of opening a new bar that's taking up all of his time at the moment but 
But yeah, it's wild that they're putting new music. I only out really again. know that Were one guys, Van Pelt record. I only really, you guys like? I only really know the one with. No, you didn't get I, into I only really know the one with the the golf on the cover. Yeah, Soul and Sentiment. Yeah, That's but he did the project record. he did after the lapse. That first record, the betrayal, is has one of the greatest opening tracks of, oh, of a yeah. record I've ever heard. The lapse is um, great. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know he was in that band. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think, bought uh, that at uh, the greatest record store to ever exist in Philadelphia, Long in the Tooth. Mm. Oh yeah, classic, yeah. classic. So, if you grew up in Philly and and mm-hmm. you know grew up in PA, live in PA, how did how did yeah. Daniel Danger get his sick and how did you get wrapped up in his sick and twisted yeah, web? How did, yeah, how did you get mixed um, up with that pervert? Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> that pedal pervert. It, it it happened. It's actually you know uh, I went to I finished up at Penn State and I think in like 2002, and I was living in which campus. Main campus, main campus. Yeah. All right. Come I was on, a smart Daniel. kid. I got into, well, this is 1998, so you didn't really, it was like, I was an average kid. And I had alumni. I, I think that's how I got in. But uh, I, I was living in um, Grace Ferry, like St. Albans Place, right by the old, uh, uh, what is it, the old Naval Hospital. That's that crazy, like, Toll Brothers complex now or whatever. Okay. And uh, I went to, I was applying to school for my MFA in Rochester and went to RIT. Nice. And uh, I think it's like my second or third day in the print studio, like getting oriented, cleaning things or whatever. This like. I say, when kid. did you graduate RIT? 2005. Okay. Do yeah. you know Michael Marmora? Um, not he, off the he, top of my head. He's a photographer Aquaman. I work with a lot uh, yeah. that, I'm, that I'm friends with, but he that's how he knows Daniel Danger is yeah. through well, maybe, RIT maybe. as well. Oh, so, you know what? I, I think he took a City Safe from Sea photos. I think he did. Too. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. No, that kid was great. I think he took the photo on the in the inside of the LP of us at the bug jar. Oh wow. Um, yeah. That's why. Uh, yeah. No, me and him do work together. All, all. We just shot a wedding together last week. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I think I, I think I saw like Dan slinking in with like a screen under a coat, trying to like expose a screen. I think I scared the crap out of him. I was like, what are you doing in here? And he was like, oh. Um, <laughs> and um, I think that I didn't, I didn't see him for a while. And I think um, I became friends with um, another printmaking student named Lena Allen. And her, I think she had just gotten out of a relationship with this kid, Ben, who was playing in the U of two, which was Dan's band at the time and i think i went to see them play and i was like this is I, it was so chaotic I, I can't even describe how chaotic the u of two used to be it was like three guitars bass keyboards drums like they, they were like all over the place in like the best possible way but very kind of i was playing like post-rock like and i was like what is this this is crazy and uh i think the story goes their, their drummer chris like was not doing well in school and instead of like telling his parents he just didn't want to study he told him it was the band like oh i'm in the band you know and i can't that's why my grades are bad and uh i think ben was like hey do you want to play drums in the huge i think it was literally we have a show in two weeks can you learn these songs mm. and i did and i walked in and and there's a moment where dan looked at me he's like hey <laughs> like he really remembered each other from the encounter in the studio and uh yeah, that's kind of where we started. I think we played like two or three shows with me just playing the old material. And I was like, okay, guys, like we got to write new stuff. And I think Dan and I just kind of started this like instant, like art making people and music making people um, thing. 
and yeah, I think we've probably been playing in each other's bands since since then, pretty much moving forward or finding some way to include each other in most other than Crime Dog. I think that's the only thing I had absolutely nothing. See, <laughs> to I, I had something to do with Crime Dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, the, the photo, the crowd photo of that on that record's mine. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, and uh, he didn't credit me on it. You know, uh, he didn't tell another it. another long running line of, <laughs> of people using my work without crediting me. <laughs> I don't know if he told you guys about this on the on the podcast, but he wrote some thing for a zine that was basically like all the failures of his musical projects that like, you know, all the calamities of putting out records. And oh my God. I think Crime Dog is like the most successful selling. Like people are like, when's the repress? And he's like, you got what? Like, yeah. um, of, uh, which is kind of an ironic Thing. I think Dan has an amazing ability to take like the funny thing, the joke thing that doesn't take any time, like takes mm-hmm. off. But all the stuff we spend all the serious time on, it's just like, why can't we get yeah. this? Like, why can't we get that energy? You know? Oh um, man, yeah. I yeah, no, but we made we made a lot of prints together, and um, we had a studio together for a while, and um, you know, I did the same thing with City State from C ATN, who later went on to play in that first real estate record. He was in La Mavida. And he was living up there and they did like three songs with him. I went to see them play. And then I figured out, like I was back in Philly and I was like, I have to join this band. Like I have to find some way to convince them to let me, uh, come all the way up to Massachusetts and, and be in the band. And yeah, yeah, it worked. It was pretty cool. And you were also a part of, uh, the very cursed, some stranger project, correct? <laughs> yeah. I think I was probably more a part of, the ep than i was like the lp okay um, that's another thing like hey got a call like hey can you come and do second guitars um here's the tabs drive up to boston to the studio and like i was in one room and dan was in the other room like recording all the same songs or like different tracks or whatever um and then i was i played a little bit on the lp but i think it was pretty clear that i think will yep looked at me and looked at how i play guitar and he was like yeah and no, i don't think so like he, he, I think he knew pretty much right away that I wasn't going to kind of meet his approval of like standard for playing. And I think he convinced them like, yeah, you don't, why don't you just play the guitar? And I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, he oh, did that the thing where it's like, he was like, he's like, yeah, you're like, you're like strumming like down, down, up, up. And I was like, I did not even think about that at all. Like, yeah, you're right. I probably should just step back and let, this let seems like else. it's going to be more trouble than it's worth. Oh yeah, Man. absolutely. Those those songs in that on that second LP are really really hard to play too. Like at least for me, um, that was like really out of my element in a lot of ways. So yeah, it was probably good that I didn't <laughs> end up. Uh, so do you, do you think of yourself more as a drummer than a guitar player? Or? I think there's always more work as a drummer. You know, okay. I mean, it's that's hard fair. to get people to want to play your songs in your band, but it's easy to join other people's bands. Oh yeah, I would never respect a drummer's songs. <laughs> <laughs> actually that's not true uh actually that's not true big time uh I, I was only ever in a band with one drummer who like wrote <laughs> songs and the songs he wrote were really great so big yeah ups, i don't think i ever attempted to write a song in a band that i was playing drums i was never oh. like check out my riff or anything like that it, i guess because you know like how things go in a band yeah I don't, you I don't assume the drummer about. role you're like well now i cannot do anything just play drums show up yeah it's i think it's actually kind of an interesting position where you i think you actually have way more control over the song than anyone else oh, in the band thinks you do 100 <laughs> percent. and this is something that like i think of a lot right like i i can't make a guess of who your favorite band is but i can tell you right now one of my favorite bands is broken social scene okay and i cannot stop listening to broken social scene and it turns out that i think a lot of what i like is their drummer 
Well, what do you think of Do Makes They Think? It's the same drummer, right? Sure. What I like about him is that he plays very non-linearly, mm-hmm. non-linearly. And a lot of what he plays just sounds like one big drum solo, which normally I would hate, but I love. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and like, I, I mean, just pairing think, that to the music they, they actually make, it's And that's what I'm saying. I yeah. think if you had, uh, same with the uh, drummer for the National. I'm sorry. I don't know drum, mm-hmm. I don't know drummer's names. I feel so that's I know bad. your name, but... Um, Except for Jason McGurr. Jason McGurr is like the only drummer whose name I know. Terry Bozio. Who's Terry Bozio? Well, he was a drummer. I forget what band he was in. I think he was uh, Frank Zappa's drummer. Oh, you're killing me. I would not got that. <laughs> you totally so you, derailed so you like, whatever you, cool thought I was going to make. You like that it was like his playing is like, it's like, it's constantly moving. It's not yeah, just yeah. like a beat coding. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I, like I can think of a hundred examples of songs where like, I think if there was any if there was any drummer but the drummer that's there, it would just sound. Think about the national, about how how awful the national would sound if it wasn't for like how weird those drums are. I gotta admit, I don't think I've ever listened to the national. Thank oh, you, fuck both of you. <laughs> I don't. I don't mean that in a way. I don't like them. I just don't know. I probably have heard them, but I don't know if I'd recognize it as them. You know what okay, I mean? Okay, I have a Philly question for you. Mm-hmm let's let's do a top underrated philly bands okay what i'll era? go first that's not creep, a question creep, <laughs> that's more of a prompt yeah fine under prompt. underrated i'm going creepoid creepoid's my number one you think they're underrated? underrated yes absolutely i think for how good those songs were 100 percent okay. underrated hmm so let, let's talk let's an interesting thing here right because you're, what you're talking about is this all comes back to upper moreland and willow grove and that area because that's where pat went to school too so mm-hmm. upper moreland's like indie rock high school it's like frail all of the like men iron blast shaft like richie from clock cleaner you know pat from uh creepoid and lovelorn like all of those guys like we all kind of came out of that one like you know kind of thing so i love i love that creepoid i think i always thought creepoid was like a big band like in my mind they were like huge like their last show when they sold out union transfer i was like this band is huge um but huh. i don't know do you not think that they're like do you think maybe like are you saying like locally they weren't appreciated or just like overall not appreciated? i think overall i think locally okay. they were beloved yeah I agree. um i think moving to savannah was a weird move but <laughs> <laughs> i mean i guess it worked but yeah I don't know. I think there was something about that band that encapsulated everything I love about music from the city of Philadelphia. Like, sort of offbeat. I can't think of anything else it sounds like. Uh, And yet it's so familiar in so many different ways. So I remember Pat coming up to me at a show and he's like, I'm in this new band. We sound like Super Chunk. And I was like, all right, cool. (laughs) And he was describing Creepoid. And I was like, maybe we just have a very different understanding of what Yeah, I don't think Pat's ever listened to Super Chunk. I feel like every band in Philly for a time, though, was trying to be Super Chunk. There was just a moment that Super Chunk had had just... Like, I remember, like, Rob Wilcox constantly talking about Super Chunk. Hmm. Maybe it was just Rob Wilcox. He was was probably like, yeah, I'm in this new band called By Surprise, and we sound like Super Chunk. I think it's a thing that people said when they meant like kind of like poppy guitar music, right? Or right. yeah, it's like you're you're talking about you're save Ferris. People, you're trying to be people, save Ferris right now. People wanted to say the Get Up Kids, but they thought it was too recent. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's perfect. Um, I think 
All right. So underappreciated band from Philadelphia. My first thought is Amateur Party, which was oh, Mike McKee like- from Kill the Man of Questions. Yeah. Um, it to me, it was like Franklin kind of broke up. And I think like Mike like picked up that kind of torch, that vibe. Um, like kind of Fugazi-ish, kind of like reggae, but like you know, like would like screen print the lyrics on a book and hand it out at the show so everyone right. could sing along. And believe we had this really nice kind of scene for a while with like there was another band called True of Destroyed that was playing in Philly a lot. And we would do like shows at the Ethical Society, it would be mm-hmm. like, you know two hardcore bands and then like the snow fairies would play like a weird pop twee band you know um but i thought i thought amateur party like was fantastic and fantastic live like a good show um great um, i do i do love some some kill the man um oh fantastic right? i think <laughs> i think when i was very young and first starting to go to like shows at the kill time and you know whatever mm-hmm. i think seeing uh Kill the man who questions was huge for me because I I don't know that I had ever seen girls at, at hardcore shows before, yeah. um, and especially like as active, um, you know. And there was a lot of lot of really great people I met out of that, um, and I think a lot of experiences, you know, going to mm-hmm. Wooden Shoe or like going to talks at yeah. Wooden Shoe and sort of like I don't know learning at, about stuff that most sixteen year olds weren't. Um, <laughs> but I think that like Philly had a really easy scene in that way, um, you know, and, and had a lot of really creative and really socially active people uh, that made people want to engage with that and not like eye roll it. As it yeah, would be I agree. Later. I think I think, you know, that's something that um, I think the Hewitt 2 experience a lot, you know, kind of like Holly, our, our singer, had come from like a hardcore like man she did a band with rory who was the singer of achilles where they were like kind of like kind of kill the man of questions kind of a, a double attack kind of thing and i mean i never thought anything of it but when we would go play other places she was definitely the only only girl mm-hmm. that played that night and probably had played there in like a week or two weeks right. you know um but yeah so that would be like all right so that's creepoid amateur party mm-hmm. Is it as Dan gonna play or I've I've been trying to think of Philly bands for the last five minutes and I can't just think say of a blacklisted. It's fine. I, I honestly I was gonna say blacklisted, <laughs> but I'm not even that big of a blacklisted fan. I, I know they're good. I love their last record. The when people, uh, was it when people go, people something. Mm. Uh, uh, I think Restorations should have been a much bigger band. Ooh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, Those guys are great. Yeah, I, that I, that's another nice? band that I can't. Um, I can't listen to Restorations without thinking like, this is music that I would write if I could write good music. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's music that feels plucked from my brain. Um, and I love it. Love the aesthetic. I love you know. I love the artwork that that uh. Friend of the Pod Mitchell did just really, really great. That really, really, really band. amazing guitar playing in that band. Um, like I, I think people really, I, you know, I'm not sure why other people like them, but I know every single time I'm there, I just want whatever that real tall guy's name is. I, yeah, I Dave, met him so many times. Dave, Dave, I just want to, I want to stand in front of him. I want to watch him play. I'm going to see what he's doing with this stuff. Like yeah. to me, that's like the most fun part of the show. Um, yeah. I used to love, and this is probably not. Um, restorations um 
trying to get everybody's name so that I don't uh, ruin <laughs> it. But they're all drummer before, um, mm-hmm. before, uh, my God, I don't remember anyone's name anymore. Holy moly. But I think their old drummer was really fun to watch, especially like on He's the really good. two stuff. Yeah, just hit yeah. absurdly hard. Yeah. Um, just so, so fun to watch. Um, okay, let me think. Uh what uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Aspera. Um or Aspera at Astro. Yeah. And sure. became Aspera. Didn't they do I, didn't they do a song on the tree records comp? They did. So that was like that was the Aspera at Astro. Yeah. Right. right. Fantastic. Ken Shipley saw them play and was like, you're gonna be on this comp, like took them immediately. Another band that came out of my high school. Um and I remember sitting at the lunch table and Mike, the guitar player, like he's like, I was like, oh, hey, like what's going on with your band? He's like, I don't know. Like we were on the seven inch. I don't know. It already sold out. <laughs> you know what I, mean? yeah, I was I like, know. it took me like years to figure out like what he was talking about. Oh, yeah. that's the, the tree thing. But I, I think they they kind of like did this thing. There was like this psychedelphia kind of thing happening mm-hmm. kind of in like the early two, like asteroid number four, um, three, four tens and Aspera. And they kind of. I don't know how to describe it. If you listen to their in-sound tour support CD, it kind of is like this spiritualized, strange kind of like Mary Timoney um, kind of vibe. But it's great. Um, there's a really like good story about dream music. Yeah, but like, like just also like kind of like str- just strange, just really yeah. weird, you know. Um, but there's a really great story about. Um, I don't, do you guys know like the strokes did this like philadelphia residency before they went to london and became like famous and everything like that and there's they the strokes did like they played like four or five shows they did like a making time two shows at the kyber and they played the show at the five spot and it was the sparrow's record release show and the strokes got added to the bill and everybody's like sitting around like what the fuck why is there like there was like a 45 minute gap between like the bands and it turned out that Oasis was playing a Camden that night and they, they wanted the strokes. They wanted to see the strokes of the whole show got held until Noel and Liam Gallagher came to the five Get spot the fuck out and they sat here. them behind no, I'm serious. They sat them behind this like little velveted rope, little oh thing. My God. And then the strokes played. Um, and I, and I, and the reason I even found out they were there is I was like walking back to the bar and I like shoulder checked some guy and he was like, much shorter than i was and you don't realize that um was noel the guitar player yeah he's he's not a tall man he's a you know but he you know he didn't mess with anybody which was nice and they sat Mm. in the corner and it was you could watch all the all the ladies try to um you know get a cigarette from you know liam yeah yeah scandalous all right have you thought of philly band yet i yeah thanks to the uh philadelphia punk scene wikipedia page okay hit me (laughs) uh i i I gotta say an albatross okay uh sure. from from my my grindcore days yeah they were pretty uh, heavy right yeah uh, they were like funk grind i don't know what, what the about fuck is going um, on. west philly it has to be west philly <laughs> what about um bodies in the gears of the apparatus they're not from philly though i thought they were south jersey oh are they i think so uh they Same wouldn't show that's... up on they wouldn't show up on the philadelphia punk scene wikipedia mm-hmm. though but uh that's a good question i did enjoy bodies in the gears of the apparatus was um was Prima little known uh, early Equal Vision band Prima? Were they from Philly? I don't know. I don't remember that. Doesn't it doesn't ring a bell to me at all? Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know where Bodies in the Gears were from, but uh, they were in Simeon Hybrid Prototype Records, which is a hella throwback. Uh, but I gotta say, Everyone Everywhere might be number one for me. Yeah, that's a great that's one. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. In terms of like underrated, those records I return to endlessly. Yeah, both self-titled true. one and self-titled two. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, just incredible songwriting, incredible records. I think I, I agree. I think that's a band that has like way longer legs outside of their like you know time. And yeah. I think you know since Matt's still doing Hurry, it's like you still gotta get that same it's vibe. Not, but- it's not quite as witty as the yeah, well, as it used to be. Sure, well, but, it's, a, uh, it's just a different thing. Uh, I yeah. think that band was one of the only bands I ever remember heckling me while I played. <laughs> okay. Um, Tommy was heckling the entire time. Uh, yeah, that's not shocking at all. We played, um, uh, and yeah. then I gotta say, uh, Guacamora was okay. a they. I mean, in the scene, they were hugely revered. But sure, then I guess you also have to put in. Um, oh God! If I put on any like fest sampler, it would be like the third band. Uh, but um, the, we're talking about underrated bands. Remember that. Yeah. That was the original question. Sure. Okay. I posed it. Yeah. I think I think the last one I'll say, and I just think this is just because of like it's like fan. Alex stuff. G. Got it. <laughs> is Alex yeah. G from Philly? I don't know. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I think I think the uh yeah, I think the 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 one that I keep coming back to a lot, it's and again, it's not contemporary. And I think like you know, in the way that, you know, suburban Philly bands sort of adopted Philadelphia as their like home base, you know what I mean? But I, I do, I'll talk about Franklin until the day I die. I think that combination of like dub and rock and just like they were like some of the most free people playing shows I've ever seen. And I think their, their last record for Tree, that double LP, is fantastic. It's so good. Um, and you know it's good right i think it just kind of suffered from that thing where it's like the labels is declining this record comes out and it's just like everything just kind of drops you know what i mean i think the same thing happened to probably lots of bands you know where you work really hard on a record and then it comes out and it's kind of like the momentum kind of falls but i think really they were like more a victim of that time like you know in 2001 like what kind of exposure could you really get on a level? You mean like it's it's yeah, such a I, difficult time to like be a band and be successful. I mean, I think that's why Up Up like wrote all the songs about like hating touring. It's like, yeah. what are we doing? Like we're driving to Indiana on a Tuesday to play to four people and spending money to do so. This is really getting us where we want to go. Um, but I wish Franklin had had that opportunity because live they killed. I mean, their last shows in Philly were some of the most like intense, fun crazy fun nights you know did i put a franklin song on this month's playlist i think i did did you or i took uh, it off at the last minute you might take it uh, uh what a bummer yeah i don't I don't, I don't think it's on here no it's not oh, uh man. but a little update alex g is from havertown pennsylvania right outside of philly and uh bodies in the gears of the apparatus are from clearwater florida so we're way off on that one <laughs> i feel like that's a i mean i feel like you know you, how I think is you guys... that possible what why would there have florida? been so many like cdrs at my local record store <laughs> they wanted to deposit them as far away as possible uh <laughs> 
You know, I might also put horror show on that list. Horror, I yeah, I feel like with the success of of nothing Ooh, though, wait, it, it shark kinda attack carries carries horror show a little bit. Sure, maybe sure, maybe shark, shark, shark attack. attack. Who who did shark attack go on to form any other bands? I think that might have been the end of the road for those guys. Okay, that's fair. I could be wrong. The uh, I always thought. Um, Genghis Tron was from Philly, but they're from Poughkeepsie. Because I bought their record at Long in the Tooth, and the guy who checked me out was like, Philadelphia's own! But he was very wrong. I feel like that, that, I feel like when I started paying attention again to what was going on in Philadelphia, there was a lot of bands that were like, had really established kind of a base here that really weren't from here. I think like, mm -hmm. there's like, there's a generation that I just wasn't connected to, but like, you know, listen to the music or whatever. And um, I think like, probably the tail end of where i was active in philadelphia music there's a giant gap between when philadelphia music all of a sudden started to like rise and kind of build and you well know, all become... those bands that built it in like one era specifically were all from wilkes-barre and scranton yeah yeah the like kids. Yeah, all of a sure. sudden tiger's jaw um menzingers and mm -hmm. title fight all just came out of nowhere and just started yeah, everybody went to the college fire every weekend you know? yeah yeah right i, I think blame, that's like i bring yeah. drexel's music business program yeah drexel <laughs> i mean that that drexel also brought like modern baseball and man overboard and all those were drexel bands wow drexel yeah. band drexel's really the suny purchase of pennsylvania yeah it's really the oberlin college of the <laughs> septa world <laughs> um all right you guys want to dress it up yeah, let's let's do it. So, so Dan, you had you never heard this record before, or had you like had time with it? Or I'm curious. Uh, no, zero. Uh, okay. it's very funny that you mentioned this record, and we're like, okay, this is interesting. Never, never heard of this before. And then on the Death Arc episode, uh, Tyler was talking about how Death Arc got back together to play the the Team Dresh reunion shows. Yeah. After I like think... very loudly quitting music, hmm. and so we're like, "Wow, what a weird crossover I, that happened!" I think I, I think we, I think I think I might have toured with Desarc in California. I think they did like a Dear Nora Desarc show. Were they from DC? Where was Desarc from? Um, sort of like Virginia, Virginia, they and then DC, and then and then Philly. Uh, were they, were they like they... a two piece band? Yeah, I mean, I think there was a floating group of members. Okay. I think Ma was the only one that was like, yeah, Ma was touring with Pygmy Lush, and then like they shared a bunch of people, right? Yeah, but the, uh, yeah. was it uh, Ashley was the drummer, who right. was also like an incredible drummer. Okay, I think I might be confusing bands with similar sounding names, probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, another so queer core Riot Girl, um you know band essentially <laughs> i think i think like this this record lands at a really interesting time it's like 1994 i think it's my freshman year in high school and like you know probably if you go back two years like i can't you know the, from going from listening to like billy joel and like you know um Huey Lewis in the news or maybe a Paul Simon record. And then two years later you have this record. It's a, it's a massive jump um, from, you know, like styles yeah. taste what's possible 
and you know kind of like what you can hear um but yeah i mean i think i think you know if you kind of take the gender politics out of the equation it's not something i'm really qualified to speak about obviously but if i you speak musically i think it i think that's the thing that so many people get like really really hooked on this record um i think you hear so many things that other bands have done on this um i was talking to scott from dads about this and i was like all right what are your like moments in music history where you heard something completely new that kind of blew you away and i definitely include the first two songs in this record as being like what what is this you know like a moment of like, yeah completely just being like i like whatever this is i never even thought i could yeah. this could exist in this combination of ways but man it it, it always it always like delivers in a way um for like inspiration or you know again i just think the drum sound on this record and the playing is is just incredible um i think it's an it's an entire style of drums itself you know well this this is also from the olympia washington scene which you know uh i like to say that Evergreen State College is the uh, the Oberlin SUNY Drexel of Washington, <laughs> <laughs> but you know Olympia uh, Washington was like, like the that. hub for a lot of Riot Girl, a lot of queer oh, core. Yeah. A lot Have you guys of ever been to the K? The what? Have you guys ever been to like the K offices, like no. in Olympia? Yeah, it's it's really neat. Um, yeah, and you know, and again, but also it doesn't really sound like any of the bands on K. You know. Um, very different than the beat happening, you know, very different from some of the more like art kind of stuff that was going on there. Um, to me, you know, I'm not actually even like entirely sure how that, how these subgroups like interacted together. You know what right. I mean? Like, because this kind of, I feel like kind of lines more to like the kill rock star side of that equation than the K records side of that equation a little bit. Yeah. I uh, think, I think it was Hans from overnight drive who on some of the early Overnight Drive episodes used to talk about how when he was young, some girl he was dating was going to Evergreen College and he just like illegally lived on campus with them. And he's like, he's like, that's how I like learned to love women who didn't shave their armpits. <laughs> and they like taught me how to do oral sex for the first time. And it's just like, they like took him in as this like coven of women to t turn him how to be in like a good man. <laughs> But very much sometimes of that, it takes a village. You sometimes know? it takes a village. But it was it was like known to be a very liberal art scene out there and yeah. very very progressive and and things like that. I think it was a really interesting time because you had kind of coexisting. I was mm -hmm. like, okay, I just found about straight edge hardcore. Mm -hmm. I knew about Fugazi. I also like was obsessed with some of like the hundred and twenty minutes like alternative like you know 4ad bands sebado kind of that indie super chunk that kind of indie rock stuff and then you kind of had riot girl too and i you know i owned bikini kill records and bratmobile records and that kind of thing but this felt different to me than that you know what i mean like i it's where like to me it's kind of like the difference between like minor threat and fugazi it's like one is very much in your face like very clear like very distinct sort of message and maybe especially in the later for guys records it's more kind of introspective and whatever and i definitely feel like the team dress record is more on that side of that equation you know um lyrically i think it still makes the same political sort of arguments but just in a very i don't know maybe i don't know more obtuse 
way, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or a little bit more room for interpretation. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it was an interesting listen just because I don't, ha- I didn't have that frame of reference. And so I mm-hmm. started digging in further into like the people behind it. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, the people involved with this band all have like a pretty long legacy of, especially like the queer core scene. But like, I think two of the three or four members in this band have, uh, like record labels of their own. Yeah. And a lot of them were like running big zines at the time. Mm-hmm. And just oh, being yeah, like absolutely. super involved in the movement and, and, and that kind of thing. So yeah, like they were big kind of mouthpieces for the scene they were in. Well, it's also really interesting too. Like, you know, I mean, I'm, I was never as many, as many times as I tried to make a band that sounded like frail. I just, I just couldn't do it. I didn't, I didn't have it in me, you know, but like, I could kind of figure out how to write, you know, some of the stuff that's on to the team dress record. And cause it's not just a, like one thing for eight or nine songs. You have like a really, I mean, like Waxahachie covers freewheel, you know, in mm-hmm. meta shows, like it's, it's almost like a country song, you know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. like I was you say, have this great range, you know, this record covers a lot. It's, of it's pretty wild. There's yeah. parts where it sort of feels almost mixtape. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Freewheel. <laughs> There's some screaming early on. Yeah. The screaming oh, yeah. gives way to like some some alt country. Mm-hmm. Um and really bizarre bridges too. Like there's a I don't know if it was on like DA don't care, but there's a whole part where it's just a guitar, nothing mm-hmm. else is there, and then it just comes back in. You're like, whoa, where did that come from? So you know? Wild. Like, yeah. Yeah. Freewheel sounds like like fat records era music. Like in like a good way. It's a catchy ass song, but it I'm like first time listening, I'm like this is a lag wagon song. Like this sounds like a, like a swing and uttered song or a dance hall crashers. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's what happens when you use major chords. Like you just, you're yeah. automatically bringing all of that, all that sound kind of together. But they're, they're think, using a lot of wacky chords on this record stuff that yeah, doesn't I, make I, any I'd sense. Say, yeah. Free will is probably not a good example. I think free will is probably like a free will is probably the most straightforward <laughs> song on the yeah, whole yeah. record. Actually. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. But some of the some of the other stuff is it it sounds almost like some of the stuff we heard on like the seam record. Just like weird chord structures and just that it it truly is the binary of switching between like clean and and overdrive channels. Sometimes uh, like even like every four measures there's a completely different dynamic change, you know? Yeah. Um yeah, no, I, I I definitely I definitely like love that aspect of this record. And I think, you know, it like I don't know if, if you guys were if you guys played music, sometimes you know that there's people who are like, I'm gonna learn how to play X, Y, and Z, and mm-hmm. they are a tab person and they learn by playing how other people write songs, right? And then I think there's a category of musicians that was like me and my friends. It's like we were so bad that we couldn't even like with the tab in front of us make it through like a verse of a song. Like we just did. Like, there's something in our DNA that just we couldn't do that. So you're kind of forced to figure out like how do you make stuff? You know what I mean? Like. Um, you know, we discovered a major seventh chord, but we didn't know what it was called. We just liked yeah. the shape and it sounded pretty, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, you know, I think that's the really interesting thing about the kind of regional scenes is you'll see people who kind of have what feels maybe not like a unique guitar kind of approach in their scene, but you step outside of it and it's like, nobody's doing anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I think you've got like three guitar players on this record writing songs and figuring out how to take each of their individual tracks and make them all work together with like a similar aesthetic, which is also incredible. Um, 
lyrically har- the harmonies on this record it too like it it i feel like there's not a lot of singers in the scene you know what i mean like people who can really sing i think you know uh, chris richards used to talk about how like he loved aloha because like tony could sing it was nice to go see a band where somebody had like the ability to kind of carry that and and how often do you get to see a band with fucking xylophones <laughs> yeah not enough well i think it's marimba now i don't think they have the uh, xylophone anymore yeah i think this when, is what this is what woke culture has done to I'm us i'm more of a vibraphone <laughs> man myself yeah, or, yeah. i or mean a of all the phone of all the phone i'm a caliphone fan <laughs> caliphone uh you yeah, know yeah. here's the problem is that i i didn't come to this until way later mm-hmm. right like my the pacific northwest bands of this era that i was listening to actively were like you know those first few sleep slater kenny records mm-hmm. um and then like you know the first you know few modest mouse records mm-hmm. um and there was something about I, like i knew that music like this existed uh on the east coast you know there was um god what was that fucking starla darla records there yeah. was a you know who did did a lot of music like this uh and their samplers were always good i, I learned mm-hmm. a lot of cool bands that way um but there was something jangly about this that i didn't want um mm. something that like bell and sebastian perfected later not that like you know those two things are comparable i guess but um I think it there's a line on this record, of... though, that says I spent the last 10 minutes trying to sound like the Smiths or trying it's to be the, the Smiths. Smiths. Yeah. 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 Sure. yeah. So um, there's the jangle for you. <laughs> and I just think that, like, I-, I think more than anything, the recording of this record, like the technology available at hand, limited, like, the full realization of this record. There is a th- I agree. The, the yeah. recording is thin, I would describe it. I'd yeah. say mid-fi. Yeah. They, it's, not, um, it's not very dynamic. This is probably n- like a, a no an eight to sixteen track at most. <laughs> right. Probably was a DAT recording or a or a VHS tape recording. Mm. Um and it's cl- very clear live, almost zero overdubs except for sure. vocals. And I think that's also again kind of interesting thing. I mean, I think any record probably made in the last five, six, maybe even 10 years, it's all to click. Like nobody does anything that's not to click anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to go back and listen to music. That's like, it's like pre-click, like no, I mean, very few people, very few drummers would even allow themselves to be like monitored by the click. And sure. I think, I think that's part of the, the feel of this record that is really cool. It's like, this is a live take. You know what I mean? Or as close to a live take as you possibly can get, which means they're incredibly tight. Like that. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. I was in my first band in 1996. Mm -hmm. And I know for a fact that I did not know what playing to a click was until (laughs) probably after high school. Did you guys even have a tuner? We never had a tuner. We like Um, tune on stage to like, the other guy's e or something like yeah that, one you know? of the one of the other guys had a tune yeah someone would hit the key of a piano and uh, i don't know that bite. i <laughs> yeah, tuning do i don't know that i ever had a tuner i mean i got I, definitely not my first band i definitely remember being on stage at the kyber tuning my guitar to a pitch pipe and people yeah. were like what are you doing i was like I don't, I don't have this is the only thing i have you know <laughs> i think the first time i played the kyber i probably did not have a tuner 
Hmm. I don't think we it's it's part of going to shows that doesn't really kind of exist anymore, which is just listening to the band go brr, (laughs) you know, like like, now everybody nicely turns their signal off and looks down at their feet. But like Yeah, now that now that big tuner has gotten involved. (laughs) What have they stolen from us? Like the most (laughs) awkward banter because you're around like, okay, give me your not even give me your G, give me your fourth string. Yeah. From the top or the bottom, Listen, where are we give me the from? thin one, give me the thin one and the low one, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh man, what a time! I, there, there was a time I used to. I'm not even a fan of the band Mill and Colin, but okay. there's a song Bullion that is literally just like power chord T structure, simple seven. It's like dun 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 dun, and I just knew exactly how that riff sounded. That I knew when at least the top. Or the bottom half of my guitar was in tune. Oh yeah, <laughs> and uh, okay. just play so that riff like and a, new, yeah, and new, and yeah. I wasn't using the the top part of my guitar anyway, so I was fine. Yeah, I yeah, mean, I look, think, I yeah. would be lying if I didn't tune to like "Come as You Are" or yeah. something. You know what I mean? Like, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure I did. Yeah, there was a the Priespera. There was a band called. They were in a band called Glory Front, and the one song is literally an E major arpeggio. It's like down, down, ding, down, down, down. Except like what you realize is that it's like recorded onto tape and then dubbed to tape and then played back at your tape at a very different speed. So like your understanding of what an E is, is probably at least, you know, like you know, a variable, you know? Yeah. Um, that's so do you guys funny. have a, do you guys have a tuning riff when you're done tuning your guitar? You play the same riff every time. <laughs> I think I have a tuning chord. Like yeah, what, I'll, I'll play that to check. You know what I mean? Just strum a nice pleasant G. Uh, yeah, probably something like that. Speaking, yeah. speaking of riffs, the very first part of the song sounds like the the riff to lit my own worst enemy. Dun, 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 to Fagatarian and Dyke. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a little, yeah, a little bit. Sorry, like that so down we don't yeah. use language like that. <laughs> <laughs> We're what, gonna beep that out. Yeah, lit. I don't want to hear your. Yeah, your no. That's, I think that's like if there's a comparison, that's probably the worst one. But I, I hear what you're saying. It has a very similar like staccato. Yeah, I do. I do very much love the first line of this record, though, which is, "Well, how do I do? Not good. Fuck me." (laughs) Such a good first line to open a record. uh, Let's talk about this. The power of swear words when you're 13 or 14 years old is extremely appealing. There's some some good ones on. uh, There's some really good ones on here. On is it the second song on this record where they're just screaming like "Fuck you, fuck Fuck you, fuck you"? Yeah, (laughs) Christian, right? Come on, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really good. I particularly like. So I'll, I'll tell you, this is how my team dress sort of origin starts with like, I think one thing that was really nice about at least the scene that I grew up with, which is like kids who are three or four years older would sort of like adopt you and they'd be like, mm-hmm. okay, come with me. And they would like make you tapes and they would take you to shows. And then we had Kara Lafty, who is um, in this band Moped, but she worked at Simon Records in Doylestown. I don't know if you guys have ever been up there, but like, it oh, was yeah. sort of like... Big time. We could take great. We, yeah, we could take the bus there, and Kara would literally walk us around the store and be like, "Do you have this? Do you have this? Do you have this? Do you have this?" <laughs> yeah, like, like in a way, but we were like, "Please give us more." Like, you and know, they, they uh, were a plant for Siren Records. They were part of the the marketing <laughs> I think, team. I think Blair was probably very happy after we left that he like she got she like upsold us probably all the time. But um, <laughs> but there's a guy T.J. Adams. And I played um varsity golf and varsity tennis, and T.J. was also with me Get in the those fuck sports. Out of here, and he uh. Yeah, number one on the golf team, man. Uh, Andrew still golf. play? Uh, Andrew's yeah, a golfsman. Yeah. yeah, man. I just I just played the other day. Felt pretty good. I I definitely 
I definitely take way too much time in between playing and, and probably by the 13th or 14th hole, I'm like, I hurt and I'm ready to go home. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I haven't played more than nine holes in, in many, many years. Yeah, nine's but. perfect. Um, but anyway, he like, you know, in this very awkward way, I was like, hey, do you think you could make me a tape of some stuff? And he made me a tape and I think he put Frail's New Harmony before it had come out, like like alternative, like practicing like things that on the record. And then it was the first two songs of a team dress. It like went from that into that. And everything on that tape was like such a such a great, amazing introduction. Like early Crown Hate Ruin, Seven Inches Julia was on Ooh, there, Evergreen Crown was on Hate there. Ruin. Swing mm, I haven't kids. thought about that in a long time. Oh man, yeah. Crown Hate Ruin. Those the seven inches, the intermediate primary, they're they're fantastic. I mean that LP's great too but those songs were awesome and and again like like again stood out only female voice probably on that tape but musically it fit right in there with all of that kind of like post-rock hardcore um kind of emo kind of stuff that was going on you know and again i don't i've never i don't even know if there's research that exists that says like you know we're the olympia kind of chainsaw records candy ass records people into like let the the California Mohinder, like, you know, swing kids thing. If that was even something that even made it into their it trajectory. It definitely so, doesn't feel like there would be a crossover there. Yeah, I don't mm. think so. I mean, musically, it's all happening at the same time. But, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, re I remember hearing all of those things all at the same time and kind of being like, it just kind of all jumbled up yeah. there. But um, Yeah, like, I mean, I, I think, like, early Dimmock records like um who was on dim mock besides like exploder kills and like you know the early like steve aoki bands but like yeah you know man, what else was going on former former guest uh jason stewart was part of dim mac records oh yeah oh yeah he, he came up with I, steve aoki Dan, don't bring i wasn't there don't fucking I bring this <laughs> up one episode now. you missed don't fucking bring this up now our number one episode don't fucking so bring this up now dan <laughs> The the other thing I think is really interesting is the the appeal of the packaging of this record. I don't think could be under. It's, yeah, it's, tell me it's, about it's it. Great. I've only ever, I've only ever seen it's great the so cover like, on here. So. so I think it's another sort of thing. It's like you know if you hold up like you know uh, like uh, Joan of Arc's Live in Chicago, right? It's like all referencing this like you know this film, and then you see that film, you're like, oh, that's where they got that from, right? So I think. I hadn't seen personal best, but when I saw personal best, I was like, Oh, that's what this is about. Like I understood, mm. um, that. And I think to me, it almost kind of feels like the, um, like a little bit of like the saves the day through being cool kind of cover a little bit. Like there's a narrative, there's like a little story kind of within the pictures. Um, you know, obviously a very different situation, but, um, and it kind of, even in the coloring of the record, it's just really bright. It's appealing. And, you know, it's this weird sort of like what, like athletic gym look in 1994 that's probably referencing, you know, 70s, you know, high school teen movies or something like that. But I will um, say the first time I looked at it, it strangely reminded me of the Tuesday freewheeling record. But I don't know why, because now looking at it, that doesn't make any sense at all. Freewheel. Maybe it's just like the, the freewheel reference. Maybe it's just the colors. It reminded me yeah. of uh, the Four it Minute Mile cover. A little bit. And I, and also, too, I bet if you ask somebody from the Get Up Kids, like, did that come from Team Dresh? Because I think you can almost hear a little bit of the Get Up Kids stuff coming from this. Sure. Too. I oh, agree. Yeah. yeah. When did yeah. Four Minute um, Mile come out? 
Nin- Four Minute uh, Mile came out in 1997. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? that was they totally ripped it off. Uh, that was that was another thing. Uh, funny enough, is ninety-seven. Uh, what was it? Let me find the the name of the uh, song on here. I was reading. So, Pitchfork did a reissue review. Oh yeah, of this. that's a good review. Uh, nine point one. They gave it this record. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's an interesting review. But there's a part where they mention that on the song. Where is it? She's crushing my mind. Mm-hmm. They said there's a riff that precedes the promise ring. It's the intro. And what promise ring song are they referencing? Because they they linked to it, but the link was dead in the in I think the, it's probably uh, something review. off of 30 Degrees Everywhere. Okay, that'd make more sense. Yeah, I think it's that era that they were probably talking about. Perhaps the horse latitudes? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not specific, but that, if you were telling me, like, they were making that reference to Early Promise Ring, I would totally hear that yeah. um, you know, from something from that era of them. But yeah, yeah I, I, I tried to listen. I couldn't. Th- I'm not super, super familiar with... 30 degrees the way I am with nothing feels good, but uh, why is yeah, that? I just thought that was interesting. Do why you is not that? like a picture? Do you do not like a picture postcard? I do like a picture postcard. It's just, I do I you just, know, um, nothing feels good's many, burned into my brain. Many, many years ago, Evan Weiss put a thought into my head that has never left every Ooh, single time I thing. think about the promise ring. Okay. Um, <clears throat> he wanted to do a cover of East Texas Ave. Mm-hmm. That was heavy. Okay. It is a heavy. It's already it's it, a heavy song. And if you listen to it, you can really imagine like real heavy. You Push know what bits. I mean? Like, and that's oh, yeah. all I just I've listened always... to that like recently, and I was kind of blown away. I was like, oh yeah, they, like before they became kind of like the very emergency promise ring. There was yeah. very much that side of them that was kind of like more like a hardcore band. Yeah, in a lot of ways. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were um, they were like emo core in the roots of what emo core really meant you know yeah i think i think all those guys would probably name check this record i think it's i think it's well known and well liked and kind of this like little secret thing that uh a lot of people have you know come come back to in a lot of ways and drawn a lot of stuff from i think it's to me it's always an interesting thing too um i I, like i think a lot of people at some point was asked to join kind of like spitting and never ended up doing it but mm-hmm. there's a time period where ben barnet and i were were talking and we're he was just about to make the bridgesworth burning record and he was like i don't know what to do with this you know i'm really thinking like team dress drums and it was like yes i know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> and i think him and ben gibbard had the same conversation like this is what we want and if you listen to that record it, it makes a lot of sense that he's really trying to pull from um pull i think from that drum sound here you know so i I, you know i think if it made it into ben's brain you know being from portland having that connection i'm sure it's probably connected other places as well you know it's insane of all the records for you to bring up really bring up bridges worth burning well that was the one i had to learn (laughs) for for me whenever i um whenever i start listening to too much of the same thing and i need something to like break it up mm-hmm. i put on that record and i listen to that record like just that for a week that um, first song on that record i think passionate is like his oh yeah 
thing, you know? Again, why? I, I, like the plan was, he was like, okay, I'm going to graduate college. Um, you're gonna, I'm going to fly to Portland, live in Ben's apartment. I'm going to work at a coffee shop. We're going to rehearse. And then we're going to go on tour with Saves Today. And it's going to be this whole thing. And then, like, I spent, I think, three or four weeks, like five, six hours a day, like learning all the drums to all that song. And then hearing that record and trying to replicate like every little like hit on passionate like all the little all the kind of like rhythmic things and then it just like fell apart it was like it was devastating but um it really kind of maybe kind of connect with that record probably in the same way that that uh, record is it's the only kind of like spitting record i'm, I'm familiar with same. but that like especially that first two tracks passionate into uh we were both writers yeah that one two punch is insane I try a hundred dollar room if you ever get a chance. I think that's kind of like a little like a thesis record when people are okay. making kind of like thematic records where you know guitar parts continued through multiple songs. Like Dear Nora's um, um, New Year record is really similar to that too. Like, um, but there were some really good tracks on that. But yeah, no. Yeah, I, I remember. Uh, I only knew about kind of like spitting because I was with dads when they played. They played the knitting factory in brooklyn with kind of like spitting well that's and awesome I was like, oh shit this this rips i think that it, record, and i think he, i think he gave me a blunt mechanic sticker <laughs> what a great ending for a record just those last few songs um well the taiko drum set or taiko racing kit that was like on old moon right so yeah. a lot a couple of those songs were re repurposed because i'm thinking know, for, like crossover potential oh yeah that's great continent forgot about that and then and then the duet mm. yeah i think the duet was with elizabeth elmore right from sarge is it is the on untitled afraid of crushes is that what it no, is no i'm thinking untitled oh okay isn't that ben and uh sarge another underrated Philly uh, band. way underrated fantastic here. band man um they were they were frequent comer they would come around and stay college all the time play all the festivals and things like that and oh they were great they were super fun um and i love their full length on mud i think is fantastic um which one's that i only really know distant i think it's distance like the comp that came out after they broke up and i think the it's like oh god is it something like hourglass or something like that let me Google it real quick. The glass intact. Yes, that one. That's mm. the that's the full length. That's fantastic. Speaking yeah. of uh, we were talking about recording and stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. There's one thing I noticed on this record. Listening to uh, back to personal best real quick uh, okay. with headphones is I think it's in the second or third song where the entire sound stage gets pushed to the front right. Hmm. Uh, it might, I mean, it might just be whatever copy is on Spotify. Uh, it might just be someone leaned on the recording console for a moment <laughs> during a take. Uh, but yeah, there's a Listen. moment with headphones in the, the, the first like third of the record. There's a part where for like a, maybe a verse and a chorus, everything is slightly pushed to the front, right? Hmm. It's, it, hmm. it was a little jarring when I noticed it and, uh, it's only when you pay attention to it, but and then and then it shifts back, kind of just as quick as it it, it leaves. But, um, yeah. What uh, what are some peaks and valleys on this record for you? I think you know the one two. To me, it, it, 
I like records, and we even talked about this with Aiken's record. Like, it's in order of how much we like the songs. <laughs> you know what okay. I mean? Like, very much from that standpoint. And I think, like, you know, if you listen to like Sunday to Real Estate's Diary, I think of that record very similarly. Like, mm-hmm. it starts really strong, and you know, probably gets a little bit, you know. I mean, I think tracks one, two, three, and four on that record are, are fantastic. Uh, hold um, on, hold on. I need now. I need to look at that track listing so I can tell you how <laughs> wrong you are. No, I agree. Seven in circles, uh, yeah, and then round is fourth. I can't remember what the third one is. No, uh, that record's backloaded. You think? What? Yes. Hmm, okay. There's no way you can say a record that starts with in circles and seven is backloaded. I can That's say impossible. that from. I, Shadows is my favorite, probably my favorite okay. Sunny Day song. And I think from that point on, well, no, that's like almost the last song. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Those last two records are the crush it. Just as I can't the first tell because the, there's all this extra stuff on there. I think if you're talking about last songs, I think screwing your cover courage on this record is yeah. like huge. It's such a yeah. huge change. And I love the dynamic of the kind of like the, you know, telephone guitar with like the vocals in the background and just literally letting it explode into that change. Um, I have to imagine it was so fun to play that part, like just the anticipation of waiting to come in and just like kill, you yeah. know, like just like destroy your instrument. Um, and I think like that's I think that's the thing that's really appealing about this record is like if you were the person who got to play these songs, well, that's a that's a great time. That's like I'm not just playing, you know, bar chord punk rock music. It's like it's complicated. It it's cathartic. It's kind of got all that stuff put together, you know. So I'm really I'm really anti bar chord, and I think that's why I like this record <laughs> so much. Oh my goodness, the laziest crap I've ever heard. That. I just can't. Like if you're like if you're in a band and you're one fingering drop D, like just mm. stop. Hey, just, easy there. I played rhythm oh. in a metalcore band. Oh. And, and and we were in we were in uh we were in like drop b so okay. different. that's a whole different thing i guess <laughs> all we could play with bar chords okay uh I don't, stuff, right? so i don't i don't love the front of this record really um i don't like the scream stuff okay in the same way that i do later in the record number one chance pirate tv Mm-hmm. Uh, catchy, catchy song. Yeah, doesn't make any damn sense. Re- but... Referencing Sinead, sure it does. Yeah, Sinead O'Connor hold up in a tree in a hollow no, tree. When you when you ripped up the picture of the Pope, sometimes it feels all right. Well, that's yeah. the last line of the song, yeah. but, but it starts like, with her living in a tree. About, like, yeah, getting <laughs> getting outside. Um, I don't know, man. But yeah, it, it is about. catchy as shit. I don't, I don't, I don't feel qualified to analyze any of these lyrics. So <laughs> you know, um, here's, here's, I'll say this about the lyrics. I think like part of it is too. It's like if you're, if you were a male, thirteen, fourteen year old, and you have this record, it kind of makes sense to your brain because oh, it's, yeah. it's girls singing about girls, and if you're mm-hmm. of that ilk in that time period, right. That's kind of an appealing thing, you know. Like, yeah, we are definitely about, we are definitely on the same team on that. Yeah, one. it's like I yeah. also like girls. Well, <laughs> I also get too, it. it's it's may, not, and it's not speak. like <laughs> like all right, you know, if you're familiar with kind of like I don't know what wave of emo it is, but like the emo where like there's absolutely no women, it's all like it's like the Jessica Hopper emo where the girls aren't kind of stage of that thing. Like, I, I cannot even imagine what it'd be like to kind of like listen to those lyrics and 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 that there's just the nastiness to it there's like a very one-sidedness to it and i think to me this is more like 
like, like you like someone you have crushed on someone so hard you're like writing poetry about them in between classes or and i think even some of the kaya songs especially kind of harken back to that like teenage you know like do we like each other do we not kind of thing you know again they're talking about it from a very different perspective yeah. but just even the idea of speaking about crushes or um was so so much more relatable i think than they probably ever imagined it would be you know like I, i'm like a 13 14 year old kid well, in suburban philadelphia being like this record's amazing that's i mean that's that's the the second to last song growing up in springfield mm-hmm. where they're uh you know the the two people in the song you know the they're like you need to find God, and it's like all I need. Uh, all I, uh, oh, you need God, and it's like all I need is you. You know, <laughs> yeah. like trying to like crushing on a conservative girl. Yeah, and she thought she had demons or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> love it. <laughs> it's definitely, it's definitely like a pre-internet world. You know. Oh which yeah. Is nice, oh, you know? Can you imagine? Dude, I miss it. Oh. I really do. I feel like more and more and more. I, 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 I the things I'm nostalgic for. I'm nostalgic for not having a cell phone in my pocket <laughs> you know like that's like yeah that would be an when ideal was the last time you touched pen to paper oh i write my notes every day in pen and paper i, I like to I, I for my sessions that's how i do that it, it's it, it's less obtrusive than typing when someone's talking yeah i will say i'm nostalgic for i think my innocence was lost after the sidekick became unfashionable <laughs> i was on the sidekick train I, oh, I, yeah. I miss my sidekick. That was the best what device. A great, what a great It had device. one app on it, and it was MySpace, yeah. and that was the only app I needed. <laughs> yeah. I don't even remember. Oh, that was the... T- I didn't have a sidekick 2. Oh, yeah. The sidekick 2. Uh, well, wait, you had a sidekick 1? Oh, yeah. Damn. I had the 2, the 3. Oh, no, maybe I had the 2 and not yeah, the 3. The 2 was the gray one. The, the 1 had the big fucking thick screen on it. Yeah. Uh. The two had the colorful bumpers. That was really fun. Mm. Uh, and then the three was really ugly with the ball scroll. And the Sidekick LX was the nicest piece of technology ever invented. The LX was beautiful. This had like T9 texting where you're like, you could do no, it. No, 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 no. Full keyboard. Full, it keyboard. full keyboard with the screen that flipped around. You like, I like, flipped the, it your I li- thumb. I like the T9 because you could, you could really drive and like text at the same time. <laughs> it was T9. Like, driving T9 and texting. Was- T9 was interesting because I think like you really had to be principled about what you wanted to say to get through it. Yeah. It was it was a quicker way to text, but still not perfect. Man, after um, a while, I was very good at T9. That's what I mean. Texting. Like you'd be surprised yeah, like how fast that. people could like do it. You know? yeah. I, I didn't T9 that much because I was really early into the the sidekick world. You know, I went from like a Samsung flip phone to You're also you're also like 30 years younger than both it's of true. us. It's true. It's <laughs> true. Uh Guys, I think I didn't get a cell phone until I was like 23. Same. And the only I reason was... I got one was because the the Rochester like phone department wouldn't give me a phone line because I was listed my occupation as a student. And I was like, <laughs> "What?" I was like they're like, "Oh yeah, like you don't meet our credit approval wow. process or something like that." So I was like, "I guess I got to go to cell phone." Yeah. Uh, uh what I so texting on the sidekick while driving was actually easier because what i would do is you flip it up and you have a full keyboard and you just use both your hands to steady the top of the steering wheel Mm -hmm. and you could text without really averting your eyes from the road actually it Mm -hmm. was more safe than an iphone it was absolutely more safe than an iPhone. You're and, right. And they did have pesky sit, rules against it quite yet. It would sit right above your horn cowl. 
Oh, so no, I'd really put it top like, of the steering wheel. Oh, ten, see, ten I would put two, mine... 10 and 2 with the sidekick in between. Oh, okay, because I'm more like 9.30, Okay. Holding it, like, above the horn cowl. Okay. Yeah, well, like, uh, like a race car thumbs. driver. I'm very... I've always thought of myself as the race car driver of... of Driving like and texting. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're the Dale Earnhardt of driving and texting. Yeah, I'm the Dale, Dale Earnhardt of, of drunk driving and yeah, texting. You're more like the uh, the Jeff Gordon, if you know what I mean. I kind of miss it though. That was what nice. Else? That was like a fun. That was like a fun little way to be able to like pay attention and not pay attention. To I think I would have appreciated more adulthood without that. Yeah. Without a phone. Yeah. See, having a sidekick in in the scene space with the MySpace attachment was a real th- cultivating of culture for me. Yeah. It put me in direct connection to my fans. What year was, what year was that? MySpace God. was like 2002, 2003. Like, yeah, so I, probably the sidekick LX must have come out like 2005, 2006. I think that was peak. Um. But that that phone was so nice. I like want one back. I'd like switch back to T-Mobile to have one. Uh, I remember arriving in Rochester. This is Sidekick LX was two thousand nine. That was two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand seven. Yeah. And I sold. I traded my LX, switched the team uh, to AT and T when the iPhone was still AT and T specific. And uh, I think I got oh, the yeah, iPhone. Oh yeah, I was gonna say I had an iPhone. Three. Why the fuck would I around that time? That's why. Yeah, yeah, I, I got on the iPhone in the three G era. Man, we really two thousand nine. We really did something good for Team Drash talking about. It's true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I swear to God, though, guys, like, I think like I think you know it's it's so hard if you love music to sit down and be like pick a record to talk about it's like no, no, the no, worst for sure. it's like the worst question that anybody can ask yeah. you and like yeah I, i'm glad think, our podcast is based around the worst question oh, anyone can so be asked tough. it's so tough it's like <laughs> God, it's really been God. working out because for you us. have like you have like you have like you probably have like 10 choices easily, oh, probably even man. more you know what i mean <laughs> like to try to narrow down bunch it's, of spectacle pieces of shit yeah a bunch of idiots <laughs> with beards and glasses look um I you know I think about it all the time. If somebody were to ask if I if I were to get asked on this show and somebody would be like what re- what one record oh, would you, you imagine talk being about? asked to come on the show? How nice that sounds would be. incredible. It sounds awesome. Um, <laughs> I would make I would make you listen to um either the Sharks Keep Moving self titled record. Oh, I love that record. Or the Knife in the Water Red River record. Okay, I know both of those. I'm glad I don't you know, know either of them. Those. Yeah, that, those are like two of my wife's like favorite records. She's like, she brought those into like my world. You know, Damn, let's get your wife on the pod. Wait, who's yeah. your wife? Kelly Anderson. Yeah. Uh, the Kelly Anderson is a dear friend of mine. What? Yeah. We, Andrew, we met. Yeah. Now <laughs> I'm just putting this together. <laughs> what? How did I? How did we not? Establish this until an hour and a half. It's been ninety minutes. I thought he knew. No, I don't fucking know anything. I knew that you were in a band. I thought you were in a band with somebody that we were talking to. I want to fucking blow my brains out now. All right, let's talk about something else. Oh, uh, let's let's start to 
<laughs> after that bombshell, let's uh, what uh, what standout <laughs> tracks? What we got standout tracks? Let's wrap still, this puppy I still up. Think, I still think tracks one and two are the standout. Okay. Again, the, now again, to me, that's the combination. I think probably as like if you're only gonna play somebody one song, what would you mm-hmm. play? That's really tough, man. That's a tough one. But I think Free Wheel is a lot of fun. Yeah, Free I was gonna fun, say yeah. apparently it's about a, a cat at a punk house named Free Wheel. Free Wheel is a song that I would like put on a mix for someone. I think mm, you know what I mean. Yeah, it, it also it also breaks up the record really well. Like being sure. kind of right in the middle. It's a palate cleanser. Yeah, yeah, that is nice. I think yeah, I, I think those are those are really good standouts, and I think probably Free Wheel again because of its kind of more traditional sounding kind of guitars and structure and mm-hmm. things like that obviously has been the one that probably has lived on i bet if you like you went on spotify and like most played that would probably be at the top of the top of the list for sure fake yeah. fight also it it reminds me of a different song that i could not put my finger on for the life of me but uh it, it falls more in the riot girl car- category for sure uh it actually it kind of reminds me of we talked about it on the team uh the death arc episode but like jack off jill that came much later than this record but let me uh, this, jack off jill's I, been on top of my mind lately not familiar with that uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna ask the second stupidest question um of the past five minutes um no uh this doesn't feel riot girl to me at all yeah, right like it, i think that's the appeal right because like it, it like all right, there's tropes within riot girl right there's sure. like the single guitar note like the things that became the sound almost it's like hardcore it's like the, all the little things that people do to identify in that certain way and again i think this is why maybe it's it's west coast it's a different influence it's a different collection of things it's like discord versus k right it's you know there's a lot of that kind of you know i think comparison that you could have and i think you know the fact that the rag girl scene seems to stretch between olympia and washington dc is kind of an interesting um an interesting kind of connection as well you know yeah i just like musically it couldn't be further apart you know what i mean like this to me has more in common with like uh like late alternative rock radio than it does and like in a good way in like a in like a smart songwriting kind of way it's post grunge right it's post grunge like pre that second movement out of there with like you know built a spill and um modest mouse and all that kind of stuff are you texting (laughs) um so i think that that like it's a big uh i do think it's it's a musical jump and it, it doesn't really kind of fit in with a lot of that stuff musically but i think lyrically obviously there's that connection too right you know yeah there's you know um i don't know how into mazzy star you are besides like the two hit, records yeah but yeah. um i feel the same way about their uh discography i think there's a lot of that discography also covers a lot of ground in the same yeah. way this one does like i here's uh, did they do a new? I I didn't look well enough to know. Did they do like a? Have they did, done a new record since hiatus? I don't think so. I think they've come back and they've played. You know, Captain My Captain and this. I don't right. think they've made a third record. I don't know if that's even something that was like discussed or talked yeah, about. Yeah, as I far just, as I'm aware. I guess I just I want to know. I want to know what a new Team Dresh record would sound like. Apparently, they put out a single in 2021. Play it. Saint Ides Heaven. I don't think I heard it. 
don't know. It's on Kill Rock Stars. Yeah, sh- this is what I want now. Okay. <laughs> Andrew, you love 7-Eleven. I do. <laughs> I'm very passionate about that song. Yeah, I can't believe good. I didn't find that today. Yeah, I didn't I didn't look at I didn't get a chance to listen to their other other records. Are I you I think the, the follow up was good. I, I do really you ride do. for you ride for Captain My Captain? Um I think it, it hit was about ninety six when that came out. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it probably at that point, I think I was like way too into tortoise to really pay too much attention to. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know what I mean? I think like in that, like in those two years jump, like what I listened to kind of really vastly probably changed a little bit. I think I was aware of it. And I know I bought it because I still have the CD. Um, and it's good. You know, I think there's some really good songs on it, but I don't think it hits the same way that Personal Best does. Mm. You know, and again, I think the couple, I think the drummer changed a little. I don't think, I think there was a, maybe maybe two lineup changes, but I think definitely the drummers shifted too. Okay. Um, which might have, to me, might have been the thing that made it sound a little bit different. Or, gotcha. Or, uh, yeah. I listened to a couple podcasts today interviewing people from Team Dresh. Oh, yeah. um, very difficult thing to do. They, those interviews were all over the place. Real fun. Real <laughs> loose. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> to say the least. But um, one of them did talk about the drumming a lot and how like unorthodox the drumming is. Um, I don't hear it totally. Um, but as a drummer, what do you think? I, I don't think it's necessarily unorthodox, but I think it serves the song in a really, really specific way. Um, it's, you know, bright when it needs to be, and it's really heavy when it needs to be. And I, and again, it's kind of like, it's not overly played it, but what, what's being played is really interesting and kind of creative, you know? Um, you know, to me, it's kind of like, I don't know if, if, if like early Nir- or like Dave Grohl early Nirvana was a little bit more dynamic and less kind of verse chorus verse chorus, you know, mm-hmm. um, in the sense that like you're playing to the song as opposed to like showing off and doing a bunch of, you know, fills and, you know, polyrhythms or whatever, you know, um, which I think me, also has its place. Yeah, I, I'm sure, but I don't think in this band that really would have no, too no, well. no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I, I, I think it's probably is... the musical equivalent of the guitar playing and the bass playing just really worked with the the drumming too. I wonder what that threshold is for like doing something incredibly artistic, incredibly technical, and it being cool versus just overplaying. Hmm. Hmm. There's probably think, a band with a drummer that's right on that line. <laughs> yeah, I can think of a ton of them. Uh, Ghost and Vodka. Um, that YouTube well, video I, of the, <laughs> the drummer at the wrong vent show. Remember that Dan, one? Come on, Dan. I mean, it's a good example. Maybe the I most think, known example. Ooh, yeah, early, early Appleseed cast. Okay. My man is showing off. Uh, meanwhile, you got drummers like Cornbread Compton who fucking kill it and just oh. look cool doing it. But even that, even that is like an incredibly complex playing. Like yeah. that's not easy. But that's that, what I'm like, saying. Like, yeah, I think that's more the difference between like I'm I'm subtly adding things versus I'm trying to show off. You know, oh. and yeah, that's a really great reference. I think Engine Down is a fantastic example of like how to not overplay your drums but have the drums mean something in the song. Yeah. 
Yeah. Dan notoriously hates Engine Down. Really? Are you a Denali fan? <laughs> it's not true. Oh, okay. Andrew just likes I don't... <laughs> putting me in a, in a spot. <laughs> what, what, an uncomfortable Dan, spot? But it, but it, it, it notoriously hates he just, women. Dan, he just buries, he, he tries to dig me into a hole, uh, and I just don't play the game. You know, uh, but which I is also, funny, because I'm the one who says stupid things all the time, like, this record fucking sucks. <laughs> this, not this record. Yeah, Other I'm usually fairly democratic, uh, but I also I haven't I haven't buried Andrew in anything in a minute, so I guess this is... Uh, that was your chance. What do you want to talk no, about? No, I'm gonna, I'll do it on an episode with somebody you really love. Someone I, you're really, like, really I love passionate Justin. about. I know you do. <laughs> I think... Uh, I think it's actually kind of interesting because I, I I do miss people being comfortable saying like that that sucks I hate that record. Or, hey, like, we, we need more gatekeepers. I just uh, I thanks just, everyone who bought a shirt. I don't uh I don't I don't even think it's gatekeeping. I think it's like so I think this scene right now is such in a place where like everybody's so afraid to say anything about oh. anybody uh, or like you know e- even just expressing opinion. And I'll say this: I remember. Do you guys remember the most secret method? They were yes. uh, out of DC. Um, they came to play a show in State College, and the opening band like really liked them, and they were really excited to play with them. And afterwards, they came up to the guys, and they were like, "Oh, what'd you think?" And they were like, "Yeah, it really wasn't for me." And you could see the the kid's face like kind of crush. But I was like, "Yeah, it really wasn't for me either." But I would have been like afraid to kind of be like, "Yeah, I don't really know if I'm into that." But I liked that somebody was like, "Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's happy for you. It just not it didn't do anything for me." And that's like a totally okay thing to have exist like you can yeah. like a band and they might not love your band and that's totally all right or you could disagree with someone's opinion about music without feeling like i'm gonna Look, say something that's gonna upset somebody or whatever you know it's really i can't you know sometimes i catch myself and i'm like this is somebody else's art dickhead what have you yeah. ever done like you wrote a podcast theme song um I, you know what i mean like who who am i to have an opinion about anybody else's work that being said, I know what I like and what I don't. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's your so, aesthetic, though. That's and good. we do have a platform. Yeah, I... <laughs> I love having this four inch stage of a podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, hey, that's more than most basement it. shows can say. So I think like I think I think kidding. it's probably as you've gotten older, it's more like that sucks too. Like that's just not for me. And I think that's a really much more appropriate way of putting it. It's like Do you know I'm not- what the most frustrating thing at like middle age is? Um is that like I get mad at myself. When I listen to something I don't like now that I used to, yeah, guys. And I'm like, uh, here's here's my number one. I'm having a hard time with. I'm having a hard time with Braid. I'm having a hard time. Oh yeah, hard. Like I went back and I watched the Killing for Camera video, and I was yeah. like, this used to mean something to me, yeah. and now I don't understand what that was. You know, ever <laughs> ever since Bob Nana said he would come on the podcast and then didn't respond to the email, I've been having a tough time with Braid too. So I get you. <laughs> I get uh, Todd. I think Todd's a better interview. I think he's got like better. He's like this silent undercover one in the band. The bass players usually have the good stories. That's you know my thought. But <sighs> yeah, no, I think they're, they're just begging for somebody to just talk to them. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, I think the nostalgia thing is really is really hitting me in a way that's making me kind of uncomfortable. Like, uh, like I want some. You know, I want to see some bands. You know, it'd be really cool to see. But like sometimes just going back and I don't. I don't know what. Have I'm, you, what am have I doing you seen here? Team Dresh live? No, I've never have. I, I, I almost like guys. I'd say it's almost like a sacred thing where I'd be so afraid. I've heard they're amazing, they're incredible, but I, I don't know. It's almost that like risk, like uh, you know, like yeah. 
what happens if I go on the, you know, um, but no, I never got a, I think, I think they came around and for whatever reason I wasn't paying attention and I missed, you know, some of the reunion stuff or whatever, but that's okay. I'm all right. Uh, I, you know, I don't think you have to constantly connect with your 14 year old feelings like all day long, mm. all the time, you know, um, cause that's, that's a really tiring place to kind of exist in sometimes, you know? Yeah. Uh, and there's so much also, nostalgia. It's crazy. You know, it is, it is, uh, very interesting, um, to like filter, you're like, get, there's records that I've listened to my whole life that still are still as good as the first time I heard them. Like Siamese Dream yeah. and yeah. and and Sinister, I think are like records that will always like feel timeless. But man, you you did you did do the braid, and I do feel that. Yeah, it's just <laughs> stuff. I think it's I think for me it's particularly like it's very like 1999 feelings. It's like very time and place kind of thing, yeah. and. I think listening to them, like I can listen to Age of Octane. I think that's a fantastic record. Sure. I can still connect with that. But like live, they're only kind of doing Framing Canvas, maybe Chandelier Swing, maybe, and then No Coast and whatever they're doing. And, you yeah. know, I've seen that show in the moment, like in the first reunion. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm okay, I think. I think I'm, a, yeah. I'm, I'm good with it. Um, and the last time I remember I went to see them, I was like, I think I'm okay with this, you know, like I'm, I don't need to go anymore, you know? Yeah. And I think that's fine. I think that sometimes people just hit their limits with it, you know? Um, I mean, that was, that was me, me and my friends thing with the get up kids. So we saw them yeah, come around them- so many times and they're great live, mm-hmm. but they're the same great every time where they're kind of playing the same set list. They're, yeah. they always sound good. And there's like not that much variation. They're professional. Like after you see that yeah, same show no twice, reason, it's like there's I'm, no reason to play outside the hits. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, even a headlining show, you can get some deep cuts. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, that was something I liked about Saves the Day. Seeing Saves the Day, that they do have such a deep catalog, and they would kind of play everything you wanted to hear. Yeah. Not like me. they they spread enough through all of the records that was pretty, you know, amiable to everybody. I, can I, I'm going to tell you like last little story, get up kids. And I think this is, I have a couple of positive, real positive associations with that band. Number one, I think mm-hmm. we're like on that first kind of big tour of the braid Ethel Reserve, get up kids tour. So I think there's something about them. That's like, they are a part of all of this in some way. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I, I very vivid remember like in 2002, like when like saves the day, get up kids, action, action video, they were like kind of making on TV. And I remember sitting there, with Ben, with Ben Bernay from kind of like spinning and looking at this, he was like, this is us. Like, this is our scene. Mm-hmm. And it was, and then the dashboard song came on and I was like, I don't know if I'm into this. Like, <laughs> I don't, you know what I mean? But get up kids did a show in Philly, um, at style 13. And I always think that they're, it was the coolest thing I've ever seen that place. Like, it was mobbed, right? And of course, they didn't sell any advanced tickets at the first show at style 13. So you'd, you showed up and there were so many people. And there was two opener bands and they get up kids and they were like, look, there's so many people here. We're going to play two sets. So they like filled the venue. Everybody went in. The opener played. The get up kids played a set. After that, they opened the door. Everybody went out. Everybody left. And then everybody in the street could come back in and see the next set. And they played two sets. And I just thought that was like, instead of being like, no, we're only going to play the one and, you know, forget it. They saw how many people were there that wanted to see them play. And they're like, no, we're going to stick around and we're going to play again. I thought that was the coolest the coolest thing that I'd seen at that point musically, as far as like really going above and beyond and realizing that like people really came out to see your music and you should pay attention to that. And 
Um, I always thought that was a really great like musical memory in Philadelphia. It was the worst venue in the history of the planet, but like <laughs> it was a great moment. Uh, you know, um, yeah. I remember drinking. Uh, that was I think the first time I bought a forty at the New Angle Lounge across yep. the street was at the that that's Get Up Kids show. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. What a time. I I I don't know what the fuck I was doing in that neighborhood. He's <laughs> like. Do you remember, do you remember Grandma Dynamite? No. Oh yeah, she used to come in the stog all the time. She's like oh. or Grandma Dynamo. I can't remember, but she would dance and like hang out and stuff like that. But it was a really inappropriate place for like a sixteen-year-old from the yeah. suburbs to be hanging out. I didn't, yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't drink, but I, you know, forties from the New Angle were very popular. Um, the one show I remember being at was, um, Saves a Day playing, and I was sitting on the half pipe. And somebody noticed I had a converged tattoo and made fun of me, like a fresh converged tattoo. <laughs> made fun of me. I didn't even know volume. you had a converged tattoo. Sure do. What is it? It's one of the like things from Jacob Bannon's painting on the cover oh. of Petitioning the Empty Sky. Oh. It looks like nonsense in the uh <laughs> in the context of all my other bullshit tattoos. A very uh, a very ritzy restaurant just opened up in my neighborhood called jane doe but it's it's japanese italian fusion fuck you this seems like a great time to get off this <laughs> uh enjoy yeah. that i Justin, guess yeah. what do you what do you got to uh so it's what uh, do you got the plug i just uh, plug the record man um that's really probably it eight kings band on the band camp Landland cole portage is the label um I think if you, I don't know if any of you guys got to see the record in person, but you know, when you talk about DIY aesthetics and what packaging means to a complete experience of listening to a record, um, I think, I think we did a pretty good job. And I think, you know, oh, again, yeah. I hope, I hope people check out, I mean, a lot of the Landland stuff because I think Dan's really kind of stepping out in a way that I don't think a lot of labels are like, there's no intention to make money. There's no intention to blow anything up. Everything is a labor of love. I mean, a double live record from, uh, um, Pat's man. Like, you know, I think that that's, and then the Abilene backset was like three records. Like it's just, he does stuff because he loves it. And I think that's the coolest thing about being like a, a band putting out new music on his record label is that, you know, he heard something new and was like, yes, I still want to like still be con, contributing and putting things out so that's pretty much it We're, we'll play some shows in the fall and um yeah that'll be that'll be it and then maybe we'll start making some new stuff or do whatever i know becky's working on the solo stuff which might be nice. cool like another i don't know if she's going to do another ep or another record but um but i think that'll be a really cool thing when that comes out um oh, and i would yeah. definitely recommend any i think her band camp is rebecca joy that band camp um and that ep is really great but yeah um that's probably um all i got to promote thanks guys i really appreciate it it's actually a really nice experience to like talk about music in a way that's not about ego or not about um you know impressing people or anything like that like i'm just extremely genuinely excited to like talk about a record that i really love you know? hell yeah but i appreciate yeah. the opportunity to uh to do that for sure no oh, absolutely oh yeah and i've got a literally i've got hundreds of the city safe from sea records if anybody's <laughs> Ooh, yeah actually <laughs> if please, anybody needs one let me I know would, man i would absolutely love one i love that we, we're, so we're still and i don't i don't point, own it on vinyl so yeah yeah i still convinced at some point some like 12 year old is gonna find that record and be like little white shelves is like my song and then like it's, it's gonna like explode <laughs> it's an uh, it's such a good record so many good tones on that record dude those guys went crazy i mean that's what happens when you have like 
access to one of the largest vintage effects pedal collections yeah, in the country. Yeah, like, if you, you wanna, made that record. If you want to pop one of them babies in the mail, I, I'd, I'd be happy to accept. Absolutely, man. I still think. I still <laughs> I think, think if you, you should if, go if, down and pick it up, you fucking greedy piece yeah, of you shit. Know, no, I'll I'm, put a, it I'm a busy guy. I think uh, <laughs> Stephen Swift is one of the most underrated, <laughs> underrated guitar players. Like totally inventive, crazy. Like I don't know where his ideas necessarily come from, but they are definitely from another like realm. So that I really, I really seriously missed that band. It was everything was written in the room together. Everything was like coming from like literally. Let's just get together and play things, and um, that was a really fun way to make music for sure. Yeah, everyone go yeah. on uh, Bandcamp or or you know your perspective streaming service and check out check out a city safe from sea. Yeah, uh, wild wild record. Thanks, man. Uh, it was, but yeah. it was a really cool, cool thing to get to make. But yeah, I've got boxes of them. Blah, 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 blah. You want two copies? Come hey, at you. sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you if, uh, if you enjoyed this episode too and you want to join our Patreon, our Patreon is uh, Patreon.com/slash Run to the Ground. Five dollars a month gets you two extra episodes a month, plus monthly mixtapes that me and Andrew hand curate that I think are very, very good. If if anything, I enjoy listening to them myself. And yeah, you know, we throw all kinds of other fun little stuff in there too, including ten percent off merch discount codes. Uh, anyone who, for some reason, did not pre-order a shirt and wanted a shirt, we're going to have limited, uh, you know, copies available left over. But there's no guarantees on we'll have what you need. Um, but everyone who did pre-order, thanks again. You know, this is good. Maybe we'll do some more merch in the future. Uh, but we really wanted to start it off right with some nice. Nice comfort colors, silk screen babies that I'm very excited for. The order just went in today, so uh, keep an eye out for that. Dambassini.com, Dambassini on Twitter and Instagram. No Invite Volume 10 is out now, as well as my previous back issues of, uh, of my art. I actually just, uh, everyone go check it out. Dambassini.com, I just redid the entire website. I uploaded new stuff for the first time in like a year and a half across all categories, so... Uh, Go run wild. Go check it out. Andrew, what do you got to plug? You you already did all the things. Uh, do you want me to finish it then? Run into the ground on Instagram. Run in number two, the ground oh, on x.com. I thought you had already uh, done this. My rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend. Take your Mima and your Peepaw's phone and, and give us five stars and subscribe. And then use their social security money to buy Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, uh, this is a fucking blast. Justin, thanks again. Oh, no problem. Uh, we didn't talk pleasure. about photography. How do we not talk about uh, photography? And we never will. I'm know, so that's sorry. A Everybody <laughs> else. Why don't, why don't you guys do that for the Patreon? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll go another hour and a half. <laughs> All right. Everybody. Have a good night. Bye-bye.